0: You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to
1: connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed and fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is found.
0: What do pigs, parties, possessions, and paternal relationships have in common? They are all part of the prodigal son's comeback story. The prodigal son found himself in a setback created by his own selfishness. You could say that he walked deliberately into his own setback. How do you come back from a setback you set up? This is the true comeback story of the prodigal son. Good morning. good morning! So was a hammer bacon. So, we're gonna look at one of Jesus' most famous stories actually in Scripture today called The Prodigal Son. It's not really a good name for the actual story. Jesus never gave it that name. It's been given in subsequent years because really it's a story not about one son, it's a story about two sons. And you can only understand what Jesus is trying to communicate if you understand both sons' narrative. And how they work together. But, but I gotta, I'm going to pre-warn you, whether you're online or in the room today, that this message might pinch you in places. So you might want to pinch yourself. Just make sure you're here. Because uh, Jesus' message would have pinched those first century listeners because it was a bit of a message that, that went for the heart. Went for the heart. So the story is, and we're going to look at it as a comeback from selfishness. We're going to see in this narrative that selfishness does a lot of damaging things. How do you come back? When you've made some selfish choices in life so let's start by defining what selfishness is and of course i go to the urban dictionary to do this and here's what it says when you have a huge amount of interest invested in your self selfishness is not just for the arrogant and the prideful very insecure people can be very selfish they have a lot invested in their self in yourself or when you don't think about the wants and needs of others Selfishness is a part of everyone's life, and it can be a setback that we find ourselves in if we're not careful. Here's here's what Tim Keller says about it for each of our lives. He says, we are so instinctively and profoundly self-centered that we don't think we are. Here's the weird thing about selfishness. You can't smell it on you, but you can smell it in others. So here's what I'd love you to do. Think about someone who's selfish right now. Just think. Get that name in your head. Did you get someone? No, no, no. Think harder. Can you think of somebody who's selfish? You know, those of you who are in touch with your truest selves, you know you meant one of them when you woke up and looked in the mirror today because there's a little bit in all of us, isn't there? A little bit of selfish in all of us. And it can seem like a really harmless thing. Like, what, what, everyone's a little selfish. What are you talking about, Jonathan? And Why is it so bad? Well, we tend to... Uh, minimize how damaging it is in our lives, and I'll tell you why. Let me illustrate it. Let's let's do a little illustration here. I, I want you to tell me who do you think are the top predators on the planet when it comes to humans? Do you think it's how many would say it's sharks? No, no one. Okay, great. Well, because it's it's ten to thirty people die per year by sharks. Uh, how about a lion? Anyone think that that might be a top predator of humans on the planet? No. There's about 70 people that are died by lions each year, about 70 people. How, how, about, how about snakes? 50,000 people die by snake bites every year. 50,000! I don't know what kind of town or size city you grew up in, that might be your whole town. Uh, how about dogs? 25,000 people die by dog bites. Usually by rabies per year. But all of those pale in comparison to to humans. You know how many humans kill humans each year? 475,000 people die at human hands each year. But even that doesn't compare to the top predator. According to the World Health Organization, this is the number one predator of humans the mosquito. 725,000 people die by mosquito bites. When the disease that they carry with them. Now, we don't think mosquito, when I ask you for a predator, we're looking for something that's sensational. Something that invokes fear in our lives. Mosquitoes are common. They're around all the time. How many have killed a mosquito this summer? I mean, I spoke this message last night. I went home and I killed a mosquito. Uh, He's not with the Lord, Uh, where he belongs. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, you know, mosquitoes. We don't think anything of it because we've all been bitten. It's not done something to us. We're all fine. They're small. They seem insignificant. They're not nearly as sensational as lions and sharks. And so it is with selfishness. Selfishness is like a silent killer. It's in everyone's lives. We've all experienced it. And it looks really small and insignificant next to the bigger ones like murder and adultery and different things that we all agree with. Oh, that's terrible. But selfishness is actually incredibly destructive. Selfishness destroys so many relationships. Selfishness breaks our relationship with God. It severs it. Selfishness destroys lives. And Jesus illustrates it well here. And he starts with the younger son. Here's, here's how really the selfishness begins to unpack for the younger son. The younger son says, I want. What does he want? I want my share. Doesn't that sound like a three-year-old? Have you ever said something like that? No, not you. I, I want my share of your estate before you die. I want what's coming to me before it should be coming to me. I want my share. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, what's kind of neat about this, we didn't read earlier in Luke chapter 15, it tells us who the audience is for Jesus' story here. It says that in the audience, his disciples are with him, but in the audience, it's interesting how it describes it. It says there were notorious sinners. Don't you love that adjective? Not just regular sinners notorious sinners. There were tax collectors, and they were the professional class of sinners. They were the business people, they had money, but they were, they were puppets of Rome, they were, they were sinners. And then there were Pharisees, there were religious people in the room, church going people in the room. And so he's telling this story to them, those groups would never agree about anything, but every one of them would have agreed, this son was selfish. Because in that ancient culture, the inheritance, when the father would die, two-thirds of the inheritance would go to the older brother and one-third to the younger brother. To ask for an advance of your inheritance was basically to say, Dad, I wish you were dead. And because you're not, I'm gonna ask it as if you are dead. It would have been abhorrent. Everyone would have been thinking, like, can you get any more selfish? And then Jesus tucks this little word in the Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek that is fascinating, really, because when it says that He agreed to divide his wealth, the Greek word is not the traditional word you would translate for wealth there. It's bios. It's life. The older father, it is ripping him apart. You see, in those days, he didn't go to a bank and withdraw a third of the inheritance to give to his son. All your money was invested in land. And that land would have been in that family for like a century or more. So this is very precious to that family. To actually divide up that land was to rip apart the family inheritance. Rip apart who they were. And so he would have had to make provision to sell all this land off, to be able to give this money to his younger son. So it is literally ripping him apart. Why would, I mean, why would his son do this? Because he wants what he wants. He wants what he wants, even if it damages the relationships with those he loves most. most. That's how selfishness works. Selfishness is a series of unhealthy trade-offs. We are trading off something to get something we really, really want. Tell me what you really, really... Some of you were thinking about that song, weren't you? Uh, it's an unhealthy trade-off in order to get something we really want. And he's participating in this. He wants some things in life, and he's prepared to stomp over and do what he needs to do in order to get those things in life. And it's interesting that the father doesn't stand in his way. Listen, friend... God won't get in the way of you getting your way. God doesn't make humanity, not in this life, bow to Him and follow Him out of sheer will. Now, God is interested in love relationships. Uh, you know, I, I think it's fascinating that the problem in this world is likely in your life, and it certainly is in mine, is not that I didn't get my way, it was that I got my way. I got my way. So the younger son... He gets his inheritance and tells us what happens. So a few days later, after it's all been cashed out and he's been settled, this younger brother, this younger son packed all his belongings and he moved. He moved. He moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. I mean, because we're kind of familiar with the story, many people, even if you're not a part of church, you've probably heard of the prodigal son. There's a familiarity about this and we can gloss over it. What were the wild things? How did he engage in losing all of his money? Well, he made a series of trade-offs. But on the surface, they don't sound too bad. Like He he traded really the familiar, the familiarity of being in his father's home and his father's estate for something that was exciting. It was exciting, something he was looking for that he thought he couldn't find there. He traded the predictable for possibility. Are you one of those people? That you're always living for what could be? You know, it's very difficult to commit to something that is because you never know something better might come around the... He's there. He, he, he was trading in the family for friends. So on the surface, you look at exciting, possibility, friends. Sign me up. On the surface, it looks very enticing. And to be honest, that, that, that's the way often things do look in life. He thinks, and this is the rub, and this is where it begins to come unhinged for him. He thinks that all of these good things, there's nothing wrong with being exciting things, there's nothing wrong with possibility, there's nothing wrong with friends, but he assumes that all of them will be found outside of his father's house. He doesn't he's confident he can't find them inside. He's going to need to look outside so he leaves. I'm gonna ask you this question a number of times in this message, but what do you really want? Are you chasing something outside your father's house? What is it that you really want in this life? Have you left? The first measure of selfishness we see in this story is rooted in want. What you want tells you a lot about where you actually are. He wanted, and you can see in the text, it's at the back end of the chapter, he wanted adventure, he wanted excitement, he wanted friends, he wanted women. And here's the interesting thing, he got all of that. He got all of the things he wanted. That's kind of the problem with money and power. It'll get you what you want. And he got all of that. It bought him friends. You can see it there. And as soon as the money, here's the problem, when you get things with things, you have to always have those things to keep those things. Do you follow me there? Because when the money dried up, his friends went away. He cashed in his inheritance for what he wanted, and he couldn't even hold on to what he wanted. I don't know if you've ever been there. This is the problem with what drives us in selfishness. You see, when you take a shortcut to get what you want... Maybe it's to get a person you want. Maybe it's to get more money in this life. And you take shortcuts around how God designed us to work with money or people or other things. We end up cutting short what we get. So I've seen people over the years. They wanted a shortcut because they were sure they couldn't find that spouse or that person in their life here. So they, they took a shortcut. And they ended up actually cutting short that relationship because it was built on a faulty foundation from the beginning. It looked okay. They got what they wanted, and they come to a point at which he will, where he realizes what he wanted maybe wasn't what he really needed. So, I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever cashed in your faith. I don't know if you've ever cashed in your family. I don't know if you're here or online and you've cashed in your old friends in order to find a group of friends that will allow you and fulfill some of the desires that you have. So, you moved away from the familiar. Because you saw a possibility or excitement over here. You moved away from those who might hold you accountable, so you could find a lack of accountability, so you have more fluidity towards the things you wanted in this life. And the younger son let's not be too hard on him he probably felt at times like life was passing him by on the farm. And when the great big world is always more exciting out there, I'm sure he was just strolling Instagram and he's just liking stuff, and he's just, like, look, look at all the fun they're having. He wasn't on Facebook because he's young. And, and then he then said, that, that was a joke, guys. Light, lighten up. <laughs> and I, I'm sure there's a little bit like everything's going by and everything good is out there. Nothing's good in here. And he's probably feeling a lot of those things. And here's the thing, though, friends. He gets what he wants. And the problem with getting what you want sometimes is whatever you want most of all is Lord of all. Whatever you want most of all is Lord of all. It's true in his life, it's true in ours. So, so what, what are some of the things we want in life? Anyone like money? Thank you. Thank you for just stepping out and saying, "Money. Do you want money? Great, great. So she wants money. The rest of you, give yours to her. Because you guys are, you don't want it. You know, so give it to, was that you, Yanelle? Yeah, okay, so Yanelle Sills, make sure you make your way over there and just line up, give her your money after. You don't want it. Okay, uh, you know, some people want a spouse in life. Some people want children in life. Uh, Pre-warn, their work, their work. I'm just just pre-warning you. Some people want success in life. Some people want to be noticed in life. Some people, they, they, want, they don't want the relationship, but they may want sex in life. All of these things, friends, are okay. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. God designed them. There's nothing wrong with anything, any one of those things. But when you want something out here more than you trust God to provide it in here, this is where the rubber hits the road and be, things become distorted when you don't trust God to provide them for you. The, old, the younger brother, he, the younger son, he's, he, he's confident that these things will be out here, not in here. Very confident. And why is that? Why do we go out from whatever God may have instructed us and in how to live our lives in order to get those things? And I'll tell you why we do it. Because we don't trust God. It's a trust issue. We don't trust him to have his good intentions towards providing for us in this life. I I, want to move into, and you know, at the Global Leadership Summit, the mayor of Compton, California spoke. And she just said one thing in one line, and I wrote it down. I thought it was brilliant. She, She said this, a delay is not a denial. See, sometimes we find ourselves maybe here, wanting something out here. And you find yourself in the middle of a delay. And you think it's a denial. And so you're going to take matters into your own hands. You're going to, have to, you're going to have to make things happen. You're going to have to do what the younger son does. Leave the father's house, cash in your faith, cash in this. Why? In order to get this out here. Sometimes we find ourselves doing these trade-offs and I'd like to, I'm just going to have a couple of pastoral moments with you, friends. I'm going to treat us all like grown-ups in the room. We're going to have a bit of a grown-up talk about faith and about following God. Because it's true in the Bible, it's true in Scripture, that there is a remedy, but it's, but it, and it's easy, but it's hard. I, I, I know how you can devastate proof your life. You never have to be devastated in this life. If you want God most of all, nobody can take him from you and you can't lose him. And here's the truth, he'll never lose you. If you want God most of all, you'll never be devastated in this life. You may be disappointed, you may be difficult because some people won't tell you this. Some, uh, whatever you watch on YouTube, some of the TV you watch, sometimes they won't tell you this. Listen, you don't get everything you want. This is a broken and very flawed world I know people who pray that their loved ones don't die and yet some of them do. Actually, all of us do until Jesus returns. I know that some people who wanted a spouse remain single their whole life. I know that some people who started new businesses, those businesses closed. And if everything you want and if they're the things you want most in this life, you'll be devastated. You'll be devastated when you don't see the fruition of them. But if you want God most in life, you'll be disappointed. But you'll move on, and you'll find a place to thrive. I know this is, this is not entertaining teaching. I know this is real-life teaching. But I know it's what the Bible teaches. That's why delighting in God is so important. Because when you want God most of all, I can promise you a couple of things that he promises in his word. He says this, God causes Everything. And I want you to think of everything in your life. All the failures, the disappointments, the setbacks, the comebacks, the mountaintops, the laughing times, the crying times. He causes everything to work together. He has a way of taking all of those things and putting them together for what purpose? For the good. Jonathan, what type of good can come from that failure and that setback and that delay that I find myself in? How about resilience? How about strength? How about a stronger faith? You know, if you do any sort of exercise or weight training, they call it resistance training. There's a resistance part to growing your muscles, to becoming stronger. Temptation is to be resisted. And temptation is not fun. And who wants to be in the middle of that? But you know what you're doing? You're growing stronger in the middle of that. Difficult times are tough. My dad would remind me over and over, I never liked hearing it. Every time I went through a rough time, he'd say, hey, God's giving you an opportunity to grow. (laughs) He was like Job's friends in those moments, though it wasn't fun to hear. But he was right. When I look over my shoulders, it's never been those mountaintop times where I got that stick-to-it faith where I'm not going to check out faith, where I'm not going to let go faith. It was in the tough times. It was in the rough times. And God causes all those things to work for the good of those who put God first, who love him most of all, and are called according to his purpose for them. Jesus promised something. He said this. He said, seek the kingdom of God. I think you guys want to say this with me, don't you? I'm going to invite you to say it with me, would you? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Now, Jesus promised you that. He, he promised that if we would put him first. I, I know, and it's you've heard it a thousand times. I don't even need to say it. Obviously, he doesn't say everything you want because... I know, as you know, that many of the things we want are not the right things for us. You know as well as I do, you have prayed for things, asked for things, and as you look over your shoulder, you're like, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. Because you weren't praying and asking for even the right things in that moment. You see, when we live as selfishly, we are setting ourselves up for a setback, it's inevitable inevitable. There's always collateral damage. You're doing trade-offs. If you want success at work sometimes, you know what you're tempted to do? Some, and not over success at home, something's going to die in the altar of success. Many people will trade in their families for success at work because that's what they really wanted more than they wanted success at home. Be careful what you want. The collateral damage is deep. So I ask you again, what do you really want? What is it you really want? Is there a selfish root in it? The comeback, the story for this young man, the actual comeback for the young, young son actually starts with his life unraveling. And he actually finds himself in the mud tending these little guys. This is... Uh oh, there we go. Okay, get in there, man. Isn't he cute? Uh, Shelley, my wife's here. You know, you, they had pets like this, Shell. These, these are great. And nasty Dave talking about ham and bacon. I'm oh. so sorry. I'll protect you. Protect you. But, but it actually says that he comes to a place I call a pig moment. And everyone who's going to make a comeback from selfishness needs a pig moment. Here's what it says. Jesus is teaching. He said he persuaded the local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, for a Jewish boy, it doesn't get any worse than this. To be in the fields feeding pigs, pigs were unclean animals in the Torah. They were not to be touched. They couldn't be raised or grazed in in Jewish areas, only in Gentile areas. In fact, they have a phrase in Hebrew, they never even called pigs by their name. What they called them was devor archer, which means another thing. Just, there's another thing. Because they were so despised in the culture. Here's what it goes on to say. The young man became so hungry that even the pods, that little, uh, one of the kids named this pig today, Water Bottle. It's your kid. Uh, uh, The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses. A pig moment is a come-to-your-sense moment. It's rock bottom. It, it, it's the moment where you see with clarity where you really are. And this young man who's living this selfish life, he realizes finally, whoa, you see with clarity that what you wanted isn't what you really want. You all of a sudden in that moment, you realize you paid too high of a price for what you got. It's in that moment that you realize, in the hard times and the setbacks, here's the good news, though. Listen up, friends. You don't have to end up in the mud to have a turnaround. You know the beautiful thing about pigs is they smell. Have you ever been on a pig farm? I've been on a pig farm. Oh, you're looking up at me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> this is the third service. He's, she's, he's my pal now. You know, when you, you can smell a pig farm kilometers away. And if you begin to learn to smell selfishness, you can avoid a lot of pig styes. Here's the thing, though. As I said earlier, you can't smell it on yourself often. This is why sometimes you need to listen to the people God's put in your life to help you smell your own selfishness. You know, I don't know any better than my family. They can call me on it. I don't like it. I want to resist it. But listen to it. Recognize it as an early warning. Be careful of your selfishness. Be careful of what you want in this life. This is what I love about Scripture. The Bible constantly points out moments, things that are dangerous to me that could distort or destroy or move me further away from God. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what you have? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit convicts us when we begin to tread into selfish waters that could damage us. So this young man comes to his census. You done? Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. This man, thank you very much. We have two of them. They're going to be in the lobby after. Grab your kids and the, let them go see the pigs. It's awesome. So this man, this young man comes to his senses, he's in the mud, and he comes to his senses, like, what am I doing here? Even the pig food is beginning to look good. And so he thinks, I'm going to go back home, and he concocts a restitution, he's going to make restitutions with his father, and he has a plan. He's going to go and trade with his father, train with a tradesman, and then pay back his father. He's not going to be a slave, he's going to try to make wages so he can pay back his father. He gets his plan, he's walking towards his father, and Jesus turns the story on its head. If it was shocking to the notorious sinners, the tax collectors and Pharisees, how selfish this boy was, the father's response is as shocking to them. Because the father's looking for his son and sees his son coming. And it says that he gets up and he runs to his son. This is shocking. A patriarch, how the ancient Hebrew culture worked, a patriarch never ran. You did not run. Women and children ran. The patriarch never ran he walked in his robes it was dignified it was his position and yet he pulls up his robes revealing his skinny legs and he runs towards his son you know why jesus did put this in in the story it's fascinating that is maternal not paternal some of us if you're a younger son or a younger daughter here or you're online some of us don't want to come back home because we don't want the lecture. We're afraid when we come back home, there will be like, yeah, I knew you'd be back. <laughs> I knew you'd be back. But he says, I'm not coming to you that way. I come to you like a mother runs after their kid. You know, a mom doesn't care how bad that kid's been. If that kid's been away, that mom is going to get her hands on him. I have a son, I haven't seen him in uh, almost a year now. He's been studying overseas, uh, but I'll FaceTime him, but uh, just this last week, Shelly and I were talking to him online, and, and you know, you press that N button, and some of you, are parents, will know what I mean. I mean, we talk to him off and on, here and there, but it was one of those days where, like, uh, you're left with that little bit of ache, where you're just like, you're, you miss him, and so we didn't talk. We were just kind of quiet. And then Shelly comes out from the kitchen, she goes and she says these words, and I found them fascinating. She said, I miss the way he smells. I miss the way he feels, his skin feels. And I'm my dad, and so I'm thinking, like, is that a thing? Like, really? Is that really something? But but moms know their kids. Moms really know their children. If you're maybe out here, and you're a younger brother or a younger son. He misses your smell. He misses your touch. He loves your voice. He loves you. Come home. Come home is the point of the story. Come home. If you don't know if you're a younger brother, a younger sister, here's the thing. There are symptoms to identify whether or not you're in this quadrant. If you have some younger brotherness in you, here's one of the symptoms. You know you have some younger brotherness in you if you only come to the Father when you need him. You know what that speaks to? A lack of your relationship with the Father never matured beyond a dad, I need something moment. And God wants you, he wants to love you in relationship. You know that moment, parents, do you remember that moment when your kids say to you, how are you? It's like a miracle. It's like, a, what, like what? Because it's, all of a sudden the relationship is beginning to reciprocate. There's a sense of, I care about how my parents, my father's doing. Well, in a relationship with God that matures, we care about the father. We actually care how... How, how it is with him. We, we, we worship him. We, we, we are in relationship with him, not just when we need something. Here's another symptom of younger brotherness. We only give when we feel moved. I mean, I, we don't live generous lives. We consume what we have. You know you have some younger brotherness in you if you're a consumer and not part of a contributor because you only give when you're moved. Like if someone really moves me, I'll be generous. But, you know, see, I know this about younger brothers, younger sisters. You're always glad someone else gave, though. That's another point. Third one, you have a yo-yo spirituality. In other words, your relationship with the Father, it's like red hot, ice cold. Red hot. There's something about faithfulness. I Listen, when I get people who are all pumped and stoked about spirituality, and it's off the, off the charts, I'm instantly suspicious. And when I get someone who's so cold and indifferent, I'm instantly suspicious. Because faithfulness has this beautiful blend of consistency, this beautiful devotion. It doesn't get too high. It doesn't get too low. It doesn't mean we don't have highs and lows, friends. We're human. But if you have a yo-yo spirituality and you've never grown that faithfulness cord in you, maybe you got a little younger brotherness in you. Here's the last one. We rely on the older brother's faithfulness. See, I I know this is true. If you've got younger brotherness in you, you don't think about it. But man, when you need God, you're you're glad the doors are unlocked here. You're glad someone else was given. You're glad when you come here that someone else has been praying and in relationship with God so there's someone to pray with you. You're really glad that that's there for you. But you never think that maybe you should be part of that. Maybe we should be the ones in those moments you're glad someone's serving but maybe you've never ventured there maybe you have a little bit of younger brotherness in you and the, listen friends here's the beautiful thing about it the father doesn't say listen shame on you lecture you he says come to me be transformed by me i love that how he does that now that's not the only selfishness that we see in the story there's an older brother there's an older brother and the older brother, he's different than the younger brother. He stays and obeys. He stays in the house and he obeys. He just stays there. He doesn't go anywhere. And when the younger son comes back, he, God, the father throws him this party. And of course, the older brother is upset. And it actually says this, the older brother was angry. Note that emotion because that is the emotion of older brotherness. Anger. Anger. the older brother's angry and wouldn't go in to the party. His father came out and begged him. He made his father run to him just like he ran to the younger brother. (sighs) He's not that different. It looks very different. He's not that different. No, father, you're going to come to me. You're coming to me on my terms. He's angry. Here's... He goes on to say, All these years, I love his language here, all these years, I've slaved and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me. Who's keeping score? Ever been in a relationship with someone who keeps score? Doesn't work well in marriage doesn't work well in a relationship, but he's keeping score in this moment. I love his language because it's it's emphatic. And he says this, in all that time, you you never gave. (laughs) You never gave me. How generous had the father been to him? How generous is the father to him? But that's not how he sees it in this moment because he's angry. You never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. You see, the younger son's selfishness was rooted in want. The older son's selfishness is rooted in fear. He's afraid. He never left home. And we might think this is a righteous thing, but maybe he was just afraid. He never left home. And then the younger son comes back and he might cut in and get some of that money. And now he's afraid he's going to be the loser in this exchange. He can't delight over his younger brother coming back because you know what? Things were going just okay without him. And he gets angry at his father for giving away something that the father owned. This is when you discover that he's just like the younger brother. He didn't stay home because he loved the father. He stayed home because he loved the potential what the father could provide for him. And so, he's just like him. One left and disobeyed him. One stayed and obeyed him. But they both tried to control him. You know, it's interesting. Neither of them trusted the father in the story. Neither of them trust him. Neither of them trust the father's love. A famous author, Flannery O'Connor, she said this about one of her characters that was fashioned like the older brother. She said this, the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. And what she meant by this is there is a type of person, there is a type of mindset that we all can become trapped in. That if we live a good life, a religious life, a morally virtuous life, then, then we've paid our dues. And if we paid our dues, God owes us us. He has to bless us. He has to answer our prayers. This is the way of controlling God. It gets ramped up in the word faith movement and everything else. It's all ways to try to control God. But, but what's interesting is both forms of selfishness, both the want and the fear-based selfishness assumes that you can't trust the goodness of God to figure that all out for you, what you need when you need it. It assumes that God isn't that good. The older son represents the Pharisees in the story. And you got to know, it was uncomfortable for the Pharisees in that moment. Because this is not at all how the story was going in their culture, and this is not the way it should be. They had been in the Father's house, yet they missed the Father's heart. If uh, you're serving communion, I'd invite our servers to dismiss themselves and get ready to serve communion to us in just a moment. So can I get a little pastoral with you? 25 plus years of pastoring, I've had plenty of people willing to admit that they're the younger brother. Plenty of people that would admit that, you know, I, I, I knew God and I went out and, I, and my life became this and that and, and I came home and he welcomed me home. I've had plenty of people, no problem. I can count on one hand the amount of people who have ever said that I was the older brother. I can count on one hand, it's really hard to humble yourself, to see yourself as maybe having slipped into the older brother's role. So just like with the younger brother, there are symptoms, and maybe this will be helpful for some of us, symptoms for what older brotherness looks like. Older brotherness, you know you're struggling with it when you see specks, not planks, When you are able to see the flaws in others so easily, but it's been a long time since you've seen a plank in your own eye. Because often you begin to see the planks as just your behaviors. Listen, I'm not out there messing around on someone. I'm not out there murdering anyone. And you see those as the plank issues, but your attitude, whoa, don't cross you. Your criticalness, whatever, but you can't see that plank because why? You see the specs in others. You know that you're struggling with older brotherness when we assume the role of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is, if you're not careful, the longer you're around the things of God, sometimes you begin the job, the Holy Spirit's job, of convicting people. It's the Holy Spirit's role to convict people of their sin, not yours. But when you are able to open your Bible and show them a verse and tell them they're wrong and... And of course, you know, nobody, everyone loves that. Don't, doesn't people love it when you come to them and say, you're so wrong? It's the Holy Spirit that draws people to conviction. It's not our job. But you know you're struggling with older brotherness if you begin to play that role of the Holy Spirit. I, I want, I, let me help you. He's better at it than you. He's better at it than you. Here's the third one. When we hold on to decision-making and power, sometimes in organizations, churches, other things, They don't make room for the younger brother to begin to be a part of the leadership or whatever it is in the church. Why? Because they've not paid their dues. They've not not come the same pathway as you. And it's that polluted thinking that keeps us living constricted lives and not welcoming the younger brother. And then the last one. When we increasingly hang outside of the party. This is tough. This is tough. So just put yourself in the older brother's sandals just for a minute. He's, everything's going great. The younger brother, he's off the scene. He, for all we know, he's dead. He gets what he deserves. And you know what? Everything is coming to me. I'm going to get everything in the end. And so everything's going well. The farm is running as it always has. The home is run as it always has. Everything's good. And then what happens? The young guy comes home. Everything gets changed. Now there's a big party going on. What does this mean? Will I lose some of my inheritance? So the father says, Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Everything I have is yours, but this will change the structure. Everything's changing around here. And so the party goes on, and he's outside the tent with his arms crossed. He's not going in. Why? He's punishing the younger brother. I'm not going to go in there. I'm not going to be punishing the younger brother. Who's getting punished? Who's not in the party? He thinks he's punishing them, and he's the one on the outside. Oh, it happens so easily, friends. It happens in church communities so easily. You begin to reach new people, and things change, and you cross your arms. And you just think, well, I'm not getting involved. I'm done serving. Oh, or I've had this over the years. Uh, I'm not giving. As if it hurt. Anyone in the party, it's killing them. And they check out, and the attitude, and you know what, they're good people sometimes. They get caught up in a moment, it gets traction in their heart, and before they know it, they're cold in their heart. And I don't know if there's anything uglier. Here's the truth, though. There is nothing more beautiful than having older brothers and younger brothers, and older sisters and younger sisters in the same house. Thank God for the faithfulness of the older brothers. And the younger brothers, you older brothers, you need them, they're messy, and they keep you on your toes, and they remind you of why we do what we do, and what really matters in life. It's not how we do things, it's the message, and it's the mission. Why we do what we do, because Jesus said it mattered. So we do that in unison together. So here's the good news, just before we have communion. If you're maybe struggling with older brotherness, I have good news. God loves you. He loves you. He loves your voice. He loves the way you feel. He loves the way you smell. And you know, just like the older father reassures the older brother, he knows your faithfulness. He counts it as a credit to you. It's not lost to him at all. All those years of faithfulness, he has kept good records. And so the older, as, as the father would say to the older brother, don't worry, all I have is yours. Don't worry, all I have is yours. If you're a younger brother, younger sister here, come to him. Come home he loves you. No matter what you've done, his grace is more than sufficient to not only cover it, but to restore. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for this pastoral story that is hard, but beautiful. And God, I I pray right now and as we go to communion, friends, maybe it would be good if you went with a sense of confidence. So if maybe you're here or online, and maybe you're the younger brother, you're the younger son, the younger daughter right now, and there are things you want more than God, and it's caused even maybe some, you're at a point maybe even where it's caused a lot of damage in your life. And maybe there's a hesitation to come back. Maybe you have a parent that's way too eager for you to be back, and. And it, and it just pushes you off or it makes you feel like I'm not gonna give in. I don't, I don't want someone saying I was wrong or I told you so. Let me encourage you, humble yourself. Every one of us in this room have been wrong. We know what it feels like to be wrong. And if this is you, you, you can join me in this prayer. Jesus, I come to you in this moment. If you want me, God, I want you. I need to ask for you to forgive me, God. When I've elevated things, even good things, above you, God, I pray that you would be the center of my life, that you would fill me with your spirit, and God, that you would provide some older brothers and sisters in my life that'll help me live a more consistent walk where I can grow in my faith and abound in love. God, I wanna have tough skin and a tender heart, and I want to want what you want. God, I bow my knee to you today. And if you're maybe struggling with older brotherness or older sisterness here today, It's the same pathway as it is for the younger brother or sister. God, we humbly come to you. And God, we say, we don't want to be that person on the outside of the party with the arms crossed. We want to get in there. We want to dance with with the younger brothers and sisters. We want to be a part of what you're doing, not just today, but into the future. So God, in this moment, we we just uncross our arms. We wander into that tent and we say, Jesus, would you forgive us? God, thank you, Lord, that you know my faithfulness. And God, I know that my righteousness is but filthy rags. It is only your righteousness that covers me. So God, it's not my record, it's your record. And God, I just, I just let go of anger. I let go of, of that and I just I embrace what you are doing in the hearts of others, and would you do it in me too? Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.